Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is a playback of a radio taped report of an exclusive feature story for the Planetary Chronicle of New York. Ray Peterson reporting. Dateline, December 17th, year... 2116. Spaceship Bravo Zulu 88. Destination Galaxy M12. Assignment Outer Space. to our next episode of the Wild Wild Podcast. My name is Adrian Smith and I am here with my very patient co-host <laughs> Rod Barnett. Hello Rod. I don't know how patient I am and it's 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 a pl- pure pleasure to be here. Indeed. Well your patience is certainly going to get stretched with um, some of the movies that we may be covering uh, in this podcast <laughs> um, but hopefully not this one we'll see. Today we're going to talk about Assignment Outer Space, also known as Spacemen. Um, I mean, both titles are pretty generic, it has to be said. Um, and this film comes from 1960, apparently, mm-hmm. and it was directed by one of our favourites, Antonio Margariti. Yes. And uh, R- Rod has been, well, has been podcasting about Margariti for years and was partly responsible for inspiring me to then start writing my own blog about Margariti. Uh, so thank you for that, I should say. Uh, I, yes, I, I guess I, I should. Should I apologize for, for infecting you with this particular <laughs> fascination? Or No, 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 it's great. It's really interesting. He's, he's a director who we're going to talk about frequently in this podcast. I mean, there's another film of his coming up later in this season. Yeah. But... Um, I mean, he was across all the genres. He was making films for 40 years or so. So, um, you know, his films come up a lot. But yeah, very interesting director and somebody who doesn't get, I mean, apart from your podcast, uh, doesn't get a great deal of recognition or appreciation, really. Although these days, more and more of his films are starting to appear on Blu-ray. Even just recently, Arrow, finally, 
are, have announced a Margariti film on Blu-ray, um, even though it's part of a box. Yeah, even though it's part of a box set, but um, but still, it's a start. Well, it's a good one. It's a good one. It's one of his westerns they're putting out. To, and God said to Cain, uh, yeah. with uh, Klaus Kinski, which is an exceptional an, an exceptional little film. And uh, absolutely, that, of course, that should point out to anybody that that one of the one of the amazing things about Margariti is just the the fact that he seemed to be he seemed to be uh fenced in by no single genre and that's one of the things that drew me to him initially is that he seemed to be able to flirt with just about any kind of genre move from it uh rather fluidly he would he's science science fiction westerns action movies mm. you know military military movies comedies just anything under the sun really yeah so. and you'll notice that uh, although there's a there's a lucio fulci western in that box set as well and a few others but there's no mario bava western in that box set oh that's <laughs> so yeah know. that's because the, the the westerns that bava made are not particularly fantastic mm. and they're yeah. <laughs> to be honest at least i think two of them are already on blu-ray so mm. so yeah but anyway so it's great to see margariti continuing to uh to come out of the shadows as it were but uh so he is often credited with being the father of italian science fiction now as we showed in our previous episode mario bava did kind of get there first mm -hmm. although the timings on these things are often a little bit blurry so it's impossible to say who had the ideas when and 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 what but um was the day the sky exploded did include a very short sequence where somebody went into space this film seems to be the first italian science fiction film entirely set in outer space so i think we have to really give margaretti the the props for that that uh, he did his whole movie in space with weightless sequences uh going to other planets there are rockets there's no stock footage either unlike the day the sky exploded um so this really is as you're watching this film you're seeing a country developing and understanding a genre fully for the first time it's also in color which um our previous film wasn't so there was clearly a bit more of a budget by this time so this is two years later and he's got the funding to uh to do this film assignment outer space now was this was this margariti's first film as director uh, I believe that in general this is credited as his first film as director uh as mm. as we probably already alluded to more than more than most people would be aware it drawing a, a fine line between when someone officially became a director or, or 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 wasn't a director gets really kind of difficult in the Italian film industry because there was a lot yeah. of of um trickery going on where uh, 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 someone would be named director uh, to get financing or because they had a history of um, getting productions you know finished on time and on budget but the uh, the actual uh, the actual job of directing the film might fall to someone else and also there would be times when someone would start a film and then uh, beg off and s stop directing the movie you know quit and leave the project with the idea that uh, some underling, an assistant, would step in to finish a project, uh, you know, some percentage of it, and maybe not get credit, but at least get the experience as far as the the people who 
mm-hmm. produced the movie were uh, were concerned that they could actually finish the they could finish a film that they knew what they were doing and therefore in the future they might be able to get jobs like that. So it gets kind of weird when you think about it because there's at least one other film before this that uh, he had apparently had a hand in directing or at least doing some of the mm-hmm. directing duties on. And of course before that mm-hmm. he was a he was a special effects guy and a second unit director on a couple of other things as well. So it becomes a yeah. uh, it becomes a this is kind of the official one where you go, yeah, this is his first full credit, but it's certainly probably not the first time he was, you know, he was calling action and cut so to say on an Italian film project. Yeah, and he appears to have, he appears to have made this film either simultaneously or back to back with the with another film called Battle of the Worlds. Uh kind of back to back. The success yeah. from what I from what from what I understand the success of this uh actually allowed them to uh to get a, a larger budget, enough of a budget to uh, make Battle of the Worlds look even mm-hmm. better and and uh, be a, a bit more of a of a, a pricey production and also have enough money to get Claude Rains involved as well, so. Mm, okay. But you so you um You've done a podcast on that film, haven't you? On Battle of the Worlds? No, I, d- uh, I, I, I uh, Battle of the Worlds I'm sh- is. Uh, I'm sure I remember you doing one and talking oh, may, about oh, how boring gosh. it was. Oh my goodness! Are you telling me that I've lost? <laughs> I've lost con- contact with uh, my own memory. Uh, you're probably See, right. I thought that you had done one on this film, and then you told me you had. Oh, I have definitely so not done was, one on this. I know. So I thought it must be the other one, the Claude Rains one. I'm sure you did an episode of the Bloody Pit on this a few years ago. You know, and I remember you're, you being you're absolutely right. I would appear that I probably <laughs> have. Yes, I did. Uh, episode uh, 100 of the Bloody Pit. John Hudson and I talked about this particular film for a while, and okay. uh, my goodness, how time flies and my brain deteriorates. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Battle of the Worlds. Well, I'll um, I'll tweet the uh, the link to that one. Or I'll, I'll try and put the link to that episode in the notes for this show, so that way it's it comes as a almost like a double bill with, uh, <laughs> with both films covered. So this film is interesting, according to some of the credits online. Which again, it's tricky to say because I didn't see this in the actual film credits. But as well as being an Italian production, they appear to have had funding from Toho. So I don't know if that means that they had got some kind of distribution deal in Japan and whether they were, because some of the sort of the, the designs of the spacesuits and the spaceships and things could have quite easily sat with some of the Japanese productions. Um, some of the space scenes and things in the Godzilla movies kind of reminded me of this a little bit. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not, so, I don't I'm know. not sure about that. The, um... No, I don't know. I don't know how true that is. It does appear that American International Pictures or AIP um, picked up the rights for this in America. So I'm, I would imagine because the way that AIP worked is that they put money into the production. Um, but uh, again, it's it's not entirely clear. But either way, this is clearly a film that had a budget behind it, wherever the money was coming from. Mm-hmm. So they could do proper special effects. This is where we get to see some of Margarita's, um famed miniature work really quite a lot of it actually and this was one of the first times where we're really seeing him developing that style that we go on to then see later on in films like um, Mission Stardust and the Gamma One films Uh, there's some great shots of rockets and other planets and and so on 
well he would you're right this is early days for him for mm. as a special effects creator and um, some of it is quite good some of it is you know almost all of it is primitive some of it's quite good some of it is not as good as you would hope mm. uh, but the uh, the scale that he was able to create special effects uh, especially the miniature work that he did repeatedly throughout his films for the next wow you know 30 some odd years uh he he got he got the reputation as time went by as a guy who not would wouldn't just direct the film but also direct the special effects and coordinate them often with a team that he worked with for uh, years and years and years and he you know you're you're watching right in this movie the beginnings of some of the stuff that he would perfect over the years to the point where there are movies that he was making in the uh in the 70s and 80s where he's using miniatures and you wouldn't even know it unless you specific you know you were specifically looking to see where someone might be using miniature work instead of you know actual life size uh, yeah, things. Like when an army base is being exploded, mm-hmm. uh, that's and stuff like that. Yeah, and car, a lot of car crashes and things he would do. He's a very talented guy. Um, so yeah, it's cool to see that happening here. Again, unfortunately, it would appear this film is another one that's slipped through the uh, copyright cracks. So there are copies to be found easily available online, but it doesn't look great. But it's um, it's still in color. Although once they get into space, you wouldn't really know. It starts to look like it's a black and white movie. But then when you're back in the spaceship, you're reminded that it's in colour. But uh, it's in colour, it's just it's a bit soft, on, uh, on certainly on the print that I watched on YouTube. Mm. Um, so is this a film that you had seen before, or was this another first watch for you? Oh no, this is definitely a film that I was familiar with. As a matter of fact, back, okay. whew, back 15 years ago, yeah, 15 years ago, uh, I... Uh, watched this film for the first time and wrote up a rather lengthy uh, blog post on my on my blog about it where I made the joke okay. that uh, the, the the title of the film uh, should be Assignment Boredom uh, because huh. I found it to be, uh, shall we say, dull. And uh, hmm. my, my, my opinion, uh, hang, hang loose people, my opinion may have changed over the years. Don't get too excited. Ooh. But no, uh, yeah, I, I, I saw it for the first time about 15 years ago on a cheap... Uh, DVD that had four, uh, I guess, public domain science fiction movies on it, and I got to tell mm. you, that's exactly the same DVD that I watched it on again for this. <laughs> Actually, I think I might have that DVD now that you mention it. It's a, it's a. <laughs> I mean, I, I, like, who, who knows? I mean, what's good is yeah. that it actually looks pretty darn good on the DVD, which is a bit of a shock. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, no, I watched it on YouTube and it didn't look great. So maybe I, maybe I should have dug into the cupboard a bit more. Now that you've mentioned that, it sounds familiar. But uh, so you said that your opinion might have changed, so that's good to know. Well, we'll, uh, we'll see. Don't get your hopes up, but yeah. So well, let's have a go then. Uh, I've got a plot summary. This of the the book that has inspired this whole season in the first place is Matt Blake's science fiction Italian style. Mm-hmm. One of the only people who's really taken, uh, certainly in print, that's that's taken a lot of this stuff seriously. So uh, he's got a plot summary. So we'll go through and we'll see. Um, where we want to uh, to to cut in so assignment out of space is set many years into the future when the human race has begun pushing further into space in search for habitable planets to colonize now first of all i don't remember that bit i don't remember a mention of anything about being looking for planets to colonize so i'm not entirely sure where that comes in um 
Okay, you don't either, so that's good. I thought maybe I'd missed something. No. But there are a few moments in the plot here where I started to wonder whether the print I was watching had just got some scenes missing because there's a few things that didn't quite make sense. But anyway, this galactic emigration, as he's calling it, has at its vanguard exploratory vehicles such as the BX-88, and there is a lot of... um, there's a lot of letters and numbers names in this film, uh, but even the ships as well, whose crew is placed into hibernation for the many years journey it takes to get to ZX-34. And I like the fact that it's called ZX-34 because when I was a kid, I had a ZX-48, which was the, uh, the computer that I played video games on for <laughs> okay. many years, the, uh, the ZX Spectrum. I don't know if they made it to America, but here that was the big thing. I know you all had your Ataris and stuff, but yeah, that doesn't here we bell. were pl- yeah. here we were we were using little um, personal computers called the uh, the Spectrum ZX forty eight. So anyway, I like to think that maybe Clive Sinclair had seen this film and took the ZX part as uh, inspiration. Anyway, so well, what's horrible is that you say to... you say Spectrum anything and I'm immediately thinking that someone's talking about Captain Scarlet, the Jerry Anderson oh. television series. Yes, that's true. Yeah, maybe there's a maybe they were both maybe Clive Sinclair was just a big 60s sci-fi fan. <laughs> um so apparently they're trying to get to this space station on the far reaches of the known universe. Again, I I don't know if I saw a different print to Matt Blake, but these this bit of setup is something that i kind of missed well here's my suspicion um i think that it's possible and i'd love to ask him if what he saw was a subtitled version of a different uh of a different languages uh dub Mm. of this thing in other words if that's true because what we're paying attention to of course is the english dub in which Mm. uh this information that he's relating here is is not exactly what we're getting and i'm thinking that he may have gleaned this from some other you know the subtitled version of another version of the movie yeah, uh, because the, the, the length of the film there's no there's no uh alternate length of the film it's the same length anything anytime you look up the uh information on the running time it's the same so i wonder if in other versions you know the, there's a lot of freedom to to, you know, as long as you impart the necessary details to get the movie on track and to move it along, and it's, you can add or subtract, you know, information as you go along. And I'm wondering if that's where this comes from. Yeah, good point. That does make sense. So where we actually really start, and certainly in the, the version of the film that we've watched, is we're getting a voiceover from a narrator, and that narrator is Ray Patterson, a hotshot young reporter sent to chronicle the activities of the men who live and work on ZX-34. Now, if it, so they're, they're put into some kind of um, cryogenic hibernation and then they're woken up quite very, you know, very similar to Alien. Um, and it made me wonder how long they've travelled to get there. And if he's just a reporter, that seems like a pretty big sacrifice for a news story. Yeah. That he's just, he's gone on this thing for how many years and then when he's woken up nobody likes him anyway and he doesn't even have he doesn't even know what story he's going to tell he's just got a film camera 
Um, it seems well, it's a bit weird that he's a news reporter. Well, also, I mean, if he's journey, there, there would at least be a good excuse for him acting like the complete jerk that he acts like for the vast majority of the film. <laughs> if he if he's just been awakened and is really kind of you know really wishes he was still asleep, I don't know because the character yeah. comes off as a complete jerk the entire time. Mm. Uh, there's never a point at which I didn't want to like reach into the screen and just slap him. Just shut up. You're yeah. being a scumbag. And this is, of course, the uh, brilliantly named Rick Van Nutter. <laughs> yes, that's who, the actor's um, name, yes. Yeah, so he's a kind of American, very uh, handsome, heroic kind of guy who seems to have spent most of his career actually making films in Europe. Mm-hmm. rather than in America is is he an actor that I mean the name kind of once you've heard it you're never going to forget it but is he somebody that you are familiar with the only way I was familiar with him he, I knew his face very well but only because of one film appearance he plays Felix Leiter in Thunderball yeah and that's yeah. it that's all I knew him mm-hmm. from he, he he only did roughly you know a dozen movies in his career a very short career and there's a, but there are, I hate to say it, this happens no matter what I do when you start talking about movies from this period of time and the actors and actresses who worked in, the, in this period of time. There are at least like three or four movies that he made that just from the titles alone, I know I want to see like Revenge of Ivanhoe, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> The Stroke well, what of about, a Thousand Millions, you know. What about Uncle Was a Vampire, which stars Sylvia Kashina and Christopher Lee? You know, of of course, certainly. You know, that's got to be high on anyone's list. Or the passionate um, thief. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting. He's, 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 he does seem like um, the typical square-jawed American hero that you get in films like this in this period, and he's got the perfect um, pin-up hair and everything to go with it mm-hmm. and of course as soon as he there's a brilliant scene later on where he walks into this science lab on this space station and he sees a woman and he starts talking to her at first like she's a man because you can only see her legs but you should we should know i mean anyone in a film should know that if you're introduced to a character from the legs and then the camera moves up it's going to be a woman when you get to the top it's almost always true yes and that's certainly the case here and he just starts to kind of really lose lose it that oh there's a woman on board and blah 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 and yeah it's very typical uh and again just uh, i have to admit as soon as i discovered that there was a woman on board i thought oh here we go <laughs> they've just put her in the it, just typical we're going to start out with her being strong independent woman she's a scientist she's got a job to do by the end she's going to be just all teary-eyed and in love with our jerk <laughs> hero uh and uh, i was right this, yes, this what is true. Say? So, um, so he's up on this ship for some reason. To I don't know. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. But anyway, he's there. The commander doesn't like him. Naturally, thinks it's a. He's basically a waste of oxygen being on this uh, this ship, and uh, perfectly understandable because we don't know why he's there. No one seems to know why he's there. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then he goes out for a little space walk. To. Um, Without telling anyone that he's doing it, yeah. Well, there's a it's it's a bit weird, isn't it? There's a couple of times, I forget the order now. There's one where he has to go over to an, a satellite. Oh no, wait, that's at the beginning. 
oh yeah that's right he's in a spaceship and then he's woken up in the spaceship and then he's kind of dropped off to go to the space station which is just across just over there across space Mm -hmm. and so they basically just push him out of the spaceship and he's got to just float over to the other one there's no line there's nothing like this film doesn't really worry about the fact that if you're in space and you're not holding on to anything you're dead the, the, it's yes, just like the, the push him out, let him float over. Yeah, the the astral mechanics are not uh, are not the most well thought out. I don't think that at this yeah. point, I don't, I can't fault the film for that too much. I don't think how I don't I don't think it was completely clearly understood just how um, mm. difficult it would be to to do what they're what they're depicting here, which is to just go from one thing to another. When you're that yeah. far apart, it's you've got to take so many things into consideration when you when you do when you do that, or you're just going to miss it and then you're dead. And um, the yeah. it's like I say, it's 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 in a lot of ways there are elements of this that are kind of pulp fictionish, that are you know science fiction light pulp fictionist fi- fiction mm. stuff where you're not uh, you're not basing this in in real celestial mechanics or any real hard science fiction yeah. at all and that's that's certainly one of those things i mean the uh, the well i i don't think it should be too much of a shock considering that's kind of the stuff that <laughs> pulp fiction stuff is kind of what drew margarita to this in the first place there's this great quote yeah. in the matt blake book where he says uh i was fascinated by this kind of story i really loved and still do love comic books monster magazines and such stuff let's say everything dealing with so-called trivial fantasy Unfortunately, nobody believed in a possible success for that type of film, so I had an incredibly cheap budget for it. And that's he's of course referencing this film, yeah. and so where Margarita's heart is is in the you know kind of the adventure end of the stuff, um, mm. which you know means that you're going to let the, the scientific reality sure. slide. But they, there's a few scenes in the movie where people are having to float from one ship to another across space, and it just reminded me that in just a few years in I forget which one it is in one of the uh, Gamma 1 films there's a sequence where loads of guys go out into the into space and they float around and don't they form the shape as to say Happy New Year yeah but at least or in happy... that movie they have some kind of <laughs> propellant on their suits you know yeah, there's, there's some way that they, they can, can control yeah <laughs> they have some control over what they're doing which yeah. you know in this movie you know you're just in a suit and we're going to push you in that direction it's just like, going to ah. float around and uh, so, yeah, so like you said, so after he's, he's only been in the space station about five minutes and then he decides to go out for an unauthorized spacewalk to watch some sort of operation that's taking place where there's some refueling going on yeah. between the the satellite, the like the space station and the rocket. The scale of these things is confusing because sometimes it looks like a satellite, like it's quite small, but then it's clearly actually a huge space station. But then the rocket looks bigger than the space station but it must be smaller like the scale slightly confused me at times as to well what I was and, and at. it's it's something that it's difficult to get across when you're talking about doing shots in outer space because it's all a perspective mm. thing you know the the space station yeah. is supposed to be very huge but we never the only times we see the the rockets the, the various space vehicles in relation to it they they are far away from it which makes them look larger to us which is perfectly logical, except that in reality, those spacecraft would need to be closer to the space station in the first place just to make going between them easier and safer. But. Well, yeah. 
they don't make it easy for themselves at all um so yeah so he goes out on this unauthorized space walk because he wants to watch what they're going to do um but then there's an there's an accident and oh no there's a meteorite just a little a little one just floating towards them and so he goes to rescue he pushes another spaceman out of the way so they don't get hit by this thing but then unfortunately the him pushing this person makes him float into the mechanism of the fuel transfer which then comes becomes uncoupled mm -hmm. because it appears it's only just being held on with a paper clip or something so him bumping into this thing causes it to come out and spray loads of rocket fuel into space and they're all very cross about that like 500 gallons of fuel or something and they're fueling up this rocket because they're going to go to mars that's the big thing they keep talking about going to mars um it's only later on when he after he's been chewed out by the um commander uh that he discovers oh and it's, it's actually when he meets lucy the um scientist and then he sees the number on her back y13 and that's when he realizes that it was her that he saved and of course this makes him a hero and she instantly falls in love with him <laughs> happy ending that's it uh yeah yeah that's that's the whole movie right there yeah yeah he's trying to break down her resolve because she is y13 but he wants to call her lucy and he is iz41 but he wants everyone to call him ray um for some reason there seems to be a relationship between the commander and lucy lucy keeps calling him george rather than the commander and there's this sense that there's a love between the two of them oh, i have a but, question there did you ever figure out i mean th did you ever get a sense of what the relationship between lucy and the commander is is it a romantic one or is i kept waiting for the reveal i i, I have to admit yeah. every time i watch this movie is like is he her father or what <laughs> i thought that i thought is he her dad because i mean he's older than her which again it doesn't normally mean anything in movies between men and women as long as the man is the older one um yes we can't, yeah, we can't have him... an older woman involved with a younger man no, no, no. what kind of madness no. is that absolutely so yeah he, but she calls him george rather than dad so i don't know but at the end of the there is a scene at the end towards the end when um ray is trying to do something heroic and the commander is trying to stop him and he's trying to stop ray because he knows that lucy loves ray so he wants to save ray because he loves lucy and so he's saving ray because of his love for lucy so i don't know whether it's just a kind of slightly awkward love triangle maybe but that's my yeah best their guess. relationship is not is yeah it's not really explored but um but also like the commander tries to be all cool about it when He's, he's he's chewing out ray for losing all this fuel and ray's like but i saved lucy and he's like uh i you know it's more important that we didn't lose the fuel and like hang on a minute if this is the woman he loves that seems a bit cold well i think that that seems to be one of the things that is part of the story that lends itself to being quote-unquote more realistic because in reality the 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 amount of expenditure to get that fuel to where they were in the first place is probably more valuable than just one mm. crew member's life i mean that's those that's yeah. the kind of the cold equations part of this and that may be one of those things that's put in there and yet not really pulled out far enough you know not kind of teased out of the story well enough to make people understand that you know yeah anything like this if someone had had died it would be terrible but 
losing all that fuel, that screws everything up. Now suddenly things mm-hmm. can't get done. Now suddenly lots of people might die because we can't get to where we need to be, you know, things like that. But they don't they don't tug yeah. on that string very hard at all. No, and the loss of the fuel ultimately doesn't seem to make any difference to how mobile they are. Yeah, exactly. Because later on in the film, they fly to Venus or something, <laughs> which is much further away. That's much further away than Mars. So you need even more fuel to get to Venus. Um, so, yeah. But anyway, as you've already pointed out, the science is not something we should be trying to <laughs> understand or or in any way question. It can be fun. It can be fun to parse it, though, to try to figure yeah. out exactly why certain parts are, are you know, yeah. lend themselves to a more reality-based view of this stuff, and some of it just seems mm. completely crazy. Yeah, yeah. And so Ray is still. I don't know. Ray doesn't seem to know why he's even there, apart from just to make a documentary or something. It's never entirely clear. But then when he finds out that Lucy and George are going to go to Mars without him, he somehow wires back to. Uh, to i don't know his editor somebody on earth who's got the authority to make them take him with them to mars and that's because he's now in love with lucy um rather than because he sees a good story well i think that maybe he had wired i think he may have called back to earth and explained that there was a certain lack of jerk on this mission (laughs) and that by adding him they would they would fill that requirement so is this like the uh, the story of the catfish, where uh, you know all those fish in the barrel were just becoming all listless, and then by, by putting in a catfish, it kept them all active because you know they're being hunted by the catfish. That's a possibility. <laughs> throw a jerk, at, throw, throw a jerk into the crew and watch every watch everything <laughs> the, spin. Yeah, he's the catfish of our of our ship. So then we get um, this becomes. I've, I struggle to follow the narrative of this film a little bit. So it becomes quite episodic. So we've had yeah. this moment with the fuel and then we get like another story where they've got to go and rescue some guys uh, in a ship that is out of control and about to crash into a nearby planet. Mm-hmm. And so they set off on this rescue mission. But unfortunately... Um, the ship does well there's three people on the ship one of them's already dead another one seems to go mad and just leaps out of the ship and falls into what looks like a kind of smoking crater um, yeah on one of the uh, on one of the uh on the, on one of the moons of, of mars yeah, right? is it a moon? yeah yeah i think yeah it's that's right it's a satellite of mars isn't it so yeah uh he's disappeared into a crater and then the ship crashes um, but they're going to go down there and rescue him. And this is where we get some great miniature work uh, yes. of their rocket landing on this planet. And we're seeing the planet in all its lovely detail. It reminded me so much of the rocket design and the planet from uh, Mission Stardust. It's very similar, very although similar. this one is more... This planet is a bit more liquid-based, it seems. It's quite unstable. There are rocks... But there seems to be a lot of swirling mist and bubbling pools of stuff. It's actually really well. it's some really effective stuff and it and it is kind mm. of uh it is kind of some of the most interesting stuff in the movie. Uh the yeah. this whole this whole thing where um they're 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 trying to rescue this guy. This is this is an interesting section of the movie. Um I, I, I love this whole I love this whole thing where, you know, that they 
the true purpose of their mission turns out to be that there's a spaceship powered by an experimental form of energy and it's flying mm. off course and it's headed straight toward Earth. So what they're trying to do is stop this this craft and then they get sidetracked by having to try to rescue this guy. And, and yeah. in other words, there are all these elements that are that are great that uh, that that should add up to a great pulp pulpy science fiction adventure. And I'm curious. I'll be curious to find out just how many people kind of share my vision of how well it comes off. But yeah, yeah, it's it it does get a bit confusing as to, to sort of following what exactly is it that they're trying to do. Because one minute, so they've gone to this this moon or wherever they are to save this guy, and um, although the miniatures of the landing and the planet and stuff are great, we don't get to see any of the rescue. Just the next thing we see is them carrying this guy in to their spaceship basically and then taking off again so we don't get to see spacemen traversing the planet and we don't really get to see much of the crashed ship except in a a sort of wide shot at the beginning of the scene so obviously they they had limited scope for what they could do with the miniatures whereas just a few years later on mission stardust we see a lot more business with moon buggies and all kinds of cool stuff but um but anyway, so yeah, so then, so yeah, you're right. The next thing they've got to do is stop this rocket. And this is where I got really confused. I felt like I'd blinked and a whole scene of explanation had disappeared in front of me. Oh, yeah. Because they suddenly start talking about this threat to Earth. And I was like, what? Hang on. Where? What? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. don't know whether I'd, I'd missed a certain line of dialogue or something, but it, I didn't quite understand this sudden shift to we've got to stop this thing getting to earth well, the because otherwise the, it's going to destroy the earth. Yeah. The idea in the story is that the commander is the only one who, who is on the ship who knew this when they started out. And oh, so okay. he imparts this information, but it's, it, it, it's just this one, it's just this one time. So in other words, not everyone knew this when they started, they do this one little, they do this one thing. And then he goes. I'm okay. not sure. I'm not sure the scriptwriter knew when they started. <laughs> well, that's just it. I, th- this is the kind of thing <laughs> that uh, should have been like double underlined under in the script. You know, this should have been a discussion between a couple of actors instead of just one line delivering this yeah. information that everybody then just takes on board, and that's where you know that's the direction the story is going now. And th- that's a that's a mistake. <laughs> that's an error <laughs> that uh, that yeah. makes the film it, kind it, of uh, feel as if. And I thought this for years, made, made it seem as if there are parts of the movie that have been edited out. Now, here's mm. the thing: that's a possibility, but there's no there's no longer version of this movie that exists. This is the way the movie has always been. There's no you know foreign version of this movie that's got another five minutes in it that has all the dialogue mm. scenes that explain all the strange machinations behind the plot no no no, nothing like that happens that's not what that's not what occurred here what what occurred here is that the 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 english version of this script at the very least and so and remember what we're dealing with here is an english dubbed version of this other Mm. there may be other language versions that if we could if if we could get subtitled versions of those tracks would have more information about this but who the heck knows that, that would have explained this stuff a little bit better, that would have made these abrupt transitions from one plot line to the next, you know, where story information is given to us, and then that changes the entire trajectory of the story. Because now, as you as, as you said, yeah, now the movie becomes a, 
a kind of save the earth thing, much like the yeah. previous movie we talked about uh, yes. in the last episode <laughs> was, which is the idea yeah, of, so, hey, we've got to now deal with saving the entire planet Earth. Hmm. So I'm not sure what this experimental rocket is exactly, but clear, you know, if it's if it's enough to challenge the the threaten the whole Earth, then that's uh, somebody somewhere should have really stopped that in the design stage. I would say. You, re- you think it might have been atomic? <laughs> yeah, it could be, could be. So this is where we start to get some business, where they're trying to figure out what to do about this rocket that's hurtling through space it still has people on it as well which is interesting although they're in suspended animation and they don't either they're already dead or they're just not bothered in saving them because they don't really get much of a mention but yeah so we've now got our crew and ray is has proved himself now to becoming more of a useful member of the crew and he's less of a jerk than he was at the beginning although he's a rubbish journalist i haven't seen him making any notes at any point here yeah so never. um i don't know what he's going to be reporting on when he gets home but yeah so they've got to now do this thing they've got to go to venus even though the man they've just rescued will probably die because they've got to stop this ship um and it's heading towards earth it could cause a explosion that will eradicate all life on the planet so they've just got to try and divert it but whatever this experimental ship has it's got some kind of force field around it which um this character uh i don't know I've, al i think his name was um or x15 he explains it's got some kind of force field so if you fire stuff at it it just kind of makes it disappear i didn't entirely understand the again i'm trying to understand the science but like they keep trying to shoot stuff at this rocket to make it move direction or something oh well okay and so look, the, stuff just keeps best, vanishing around it I, I i took great pains to try to dope this out and it's there it's there in the english dialogue but you really okay. have to pay attention and you have to like like hold on with a fierceness to the information that they're giving you and <laughs> add it up yourself because what it what it means is that this malfunctioning engine is um it's essentially emitting heat and and what that what what at one point they don't do it as well as they could if they had um kind of a better way to visualize this with special effects but essentially what they're what, what they're talking about is um because of the construction of, of this engine whatever is causing this heat to be emitted from the ship uh it's essentially being done in two pockets kind of away from the sides of the ship so anything that comes in contact with this heat or radiation it should, they probably should have called it radiation instead of heat i don't know if it's called something else in a mm. different dub of the film but this you know this is the problem where that stuff causes their missiles to explode so they can't even get close right. enough to affect the ship but mm. because but, this stuff is being emitted from opposite sides of this craft there is this slim path that uh, a missile could possibly travel to make it to the craft in between these two pockets of radiation or heat as they're describing it mm. and actually now that makes this. more sense well right that and does make but more the sense thing is now. i'm not making this up it's actually there in the dialogue <laughs> but it is so freaking ham-handedly handled in this english dub yeah. that it takes i mean you have to get out you have to get out a piece of paper almost and write this crap down and go oh okay okay so what they're saying is you have to get in between these two. The, 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 you have to get in between the the stuff that's being emitted from the craft, or you can't get close enough to even affect it. So, mm-hmm. and, and of course, what 
I, like I say, if I were to go in and fix the, the English dub of this, I would make that extremely clear, and I would also have a throwaway line meaning that would, that would also give the indication that since this is radiation, no human could actually live through getting close enough to the ship to get onto it, so this is how we've got to do it. You know, so right. throw that piece, of, just to throw that detail into the story as well, so that we also have the opportunity at that point to kind of uh, have a have a little wake for the poor people who are still in hibernation on the ship who are going to have to die because they're probably dead already from all the radiation anyway. But I, yeah, that's and not I like there. the fact they keep talking they keep talking about the mechanical brain yeah. of this ship. They don't call it a computer. They just keep talking about that you've got to you've got to disconnect the mechanical brain. Um, and I think that's another so, indicator of the the kind of pulp science fiction end of this stuff yeah. as well. Yeah. So there's a character in the film we haven't mentioned him yet. Al um, played. He's I think he's the first. He's a, he's the first guy that we see wake up from the hibernation, and um, he, he's played by the dancer Archie Savage. He's got a very distinctive look. Yeah. In this film, he's a he's a black actor with bleached kind of cropped blonde hair, and apparently he was a dancer. If you look at his credits, he's mostly appears in other films dancing. He's in La Dolce Vita, and a few other things as a dancer. But Margariti obviously liked him and the way that he could move. Maybe he was there to show the others how to move to pretend that they're in space. Because be. he also comes back in. He comes back in um, in Wild, uh, Wild Wild Planet and War of the Planets. So he was clearly um, friendly with Margariti. Uh, Margariti thought he was good. But again, we get to another trope here, which is where he decides that he knows how to how to stop this rocket. And to do that, he's got to fly in another rocket. They don't. They never seem to run out of rockets here. He's going to <laughs> well, fly. They, they run he, out of. They run out of missiles, which is why he uses the yeah. rocket that he's actually in. Yeah. So yeah, he's going to fly. He's going to fly towards this thing and shoot missiles at it, um, because he's going to go into that very narrow channel that you talked about to try and hit it with these rockets. But he fires a couple, and then he just keeps going, like he's going to try and crash into the thing. And this, for me, is another example of a trope that we see so many times in films of the noble black man being the hero by sacrificing his own life yeah. to save the white people and that's at first i was hoping that wasn't going to be what we were going to see here <laughs> because he's been a really good character all the way through and i was like oh this is he's great the... this is 1960 uh-huh the, he's there's a there's, there's a good black role here he's the most he's interesting character the in the film yeah. he's, he's sympathetic he, he's smart i'm he, happy when he's he, on screen he's not just there to, to sort of serve the other people or anything like that yeah he's a really good character but then ultimately he still has to be the one who gives his life to save everyone else and i thought that was a bit of a shame but again we're talking about a film that's 60 years old here and uh, yeah that's kind of par for the course unfortunately <laughs> but for a while i was really hoping he was going to make it to the end of the movie but he didn't sorry that's a spoiler. Oh, you spoiled anyway oh, he's spoiled it <laughs> he's so but he's figured out that this is what they've got to do so we'll leave it there i'm not going to give away the whole thing but basically who at the true hero of this movie is of course rick van nutter he's the one who's got to step up now he knows what they can do the, the rest everyone else has given up the commander has given up lucy's crying you know earth is going to be destroyed they're all i think um 
Al talks about the fact that if they don't do this and the Earth is destroyed, they will all be prisoners in space. So, you know, no it's, pressure. It's like, wouldn't it be a better better statement to make that that means that you're all going to eventually die? I mean, it's, yeah. But, you know, I... So, yeah. They, so, so Ray, of course, he's got to have to be the one who saves the day and gets the girl. So um, he leaps into action and takes things very much into... Uh, he's got an idea. And the fact that he's not a scientist, he's not an astronaut even but somehow he's figured this out before everyone else uh, as to what you need to do but that's because of course he's the handsome hero so um, yeah, will like, he do it <laughs> so, yeah sorry go on well no i mean you're, you're you're right i mean that once again i i i am constantly jerked back and forth between the the hard the hard science portions of this thing where they're trying really hard to to get across some kind of uh, reality-based element of being in outer space, human being, you know, human beings doing things in outer space, and then the elements where it's just like, and now the ray guns and and big-eyed monsters come in, you know, it's it's bizarre. Yeah. Although sadly, there are no bug-eyed monsters in this movie, but uh, all ray guns. But I think we're so we've talked. I will we'll leave the plot summary there. But what's your overall opinion now, and has it? has it changed i guess as we 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 hinted at at the beginning well uh i i i'm going to have to admit that no it has not changed this this film still (laughs) is far too dull for what it needs to do which is to keep me interested for 72 Mm. or three minutes it's it's uh don't get me wrong i can find ways to occupy my time while watching this but it's 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 not a, it's not a passive enjoyment of a film. It's it's a it's a it's an aggressive attempt to find something within it yeah. to keep me from wanting to strangle the people involved because it's 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 a little it, it's just there's not much interesting about it. There's some well I I, mm. I love the miniature stuff. There's some really well done stuff. Some of the special effects are really cool. That whole section of the misty surface the misty surface of uh, Mars Moon uh, Phobos I think it was. Uh, during that rescue attempt, that's some really great looking stuff. Uh, yeah. The interiors of the spacecraft are well designed they, because they, mm. you know, they, they look the shape the, of it's really interesting, yes. isn't it? How things like all the doors and stuff, all the things, everything's a bit curved and at angles, uh-huh. so you're never entirely sure which way is up and which way is down. And, and, and yeah, it looks, I like fun, it looks futuristic, especially from the perspective of it being made in 1960. It looks futuristic but functional. The design kind of rings true even if the science in the last you know 60 some odd years really kind of you know makes it look as if that you know when they were off their mark it's the thing it they, they wouldn't have known they were off their mark at the time you know and that's that's really great um i i, I enjoy uh i enjoy uh, there are a couple of characters in the movie that i actually kind of enjoyed watching uh i still think that there that some of the problems in, that you alluded to, where you're 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 feeling like, wow, did we just did we just get a scene chopped out of this movie? It, it's yeah. not so much that the scenes were chopped out; it's that the explanations, at least in the English dub, aren't as clear as they should be. Because what we end up with is a lot of uh, there's a lot of time wasted. I feel with kind of pointless, badly written dialogue, uh, mouthing techno babble, and it's just it's. <laughs> It's 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 stuff. There's so much said that doesn't need to be said, 
It's just this this technobabble stuff that we'd be better off if someone rewrote it with the idea of trying to gracefully get across story elements that feel completely missed at times or only glancingly communicated. You know, um, I have to say, even even at, even at my best attempts, my eyes still glazed over a few times, <laughs> making me think, did, did I miss something? And then backing up and realizing. Mm-hmm. Oh, what I missed was that they didn't include enough information about this particular thing yeah. to smooth over this particular plot hop. So, and I was I was trying to imagine who the audiences would have been for this film when it came out, and I looked. Uh, it does appear to have been released in the UK. It certainly received a BBFC certificate. Uh-huh. It got a U in 1962. So again, it took a couple of years to get here. Oh, just for my um, information, what would a U indicate? Oh, so a U meant it was suitable for everybody. So okay. effectively, it was aimed at, it was aimed at kids, I think. Although I can't find any reviews, it's unusual. Pretty much every film ever released in cinemas gets at least one review uh, in um, in monthly film bulletin, if anywhere else. But it, there's no mention of it at all. There's no mention of it in Variety or anything like that. I can't find any local newspaper reviews either. So it got a certificate, but it may have never even been put out. I don't know. But based on the certificate alone. I would imagine that they would they would have thought this was aimed at kids. That I can see this being a kind of matinee type film yeah. for a young audience because it's about space and the you know the poster says terror awaits in the murky mists of outer space and it's all very exciting. So then when the kids are sitting there watching this, waiting for this stuff to happen, and it's mostly just people talking in a little room. <laughs> uh, I, I think, like you, there would have been a lot of kicking the backs of cinema seats and <laughs> flicking popcorn, running up and down. And then occasionally when something exciting does happen, all you know, the attention is back on the screen. But then, yeah, we're back to loads of talking again. So it requires... Um, it would have... Yeah. It's not something that would have necessarily held the attention uh, for the audiences, which I, is kind of a shame because it has got good stuff going on in it. Yeah, there are there are some good things in it. It just not enough to make a, a, a mo- to make up of enough of a movie to have me recommend it to people who aren't specifically mm. interested in something about this movie that is going to keep them involved in it beyond just you know beyond uh, just looking for something entertaining for the evening. It's just, it's it's yeah. not got enough of that. Unfortunately, it still for me unfortunately is assignment boredom. It just doesn't have enough. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's it's useful for us to watch it uh, on our journey through space and time, or through space anyway, uh, <laughs> to see because with these and time actually because we are covering twenty odd years, um, it's useful later on we can think back to how the genre has developed and how Margariti developed and what are some of the similarities and things. So yeah, it's interesting to see where it was all starting. That this was the film that really got Margariti's career going, yeah, yeah, and got him the gig a few years later to do the Gamma One films. Obviously, it was based on the Back of the East, this one and and its follow up film. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. And then and and then there were more. Uh, other people started making space films as well. So, um, so our next movie, in fact, is going to be a Lucio Fulci film that does also feature um, zombies. Not zombies this oh, time, sadly, oh, but it zombies. does feature sequences in space. 
<laughs> so not zombies, but uh, Italian comedians, which is perhaps even more terrifying. Uh, it is. Um, it is more terrifying. And and I got to tell you, you're right. That next episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched that movie either. And I am a dreading it. <laughs> Well, I do appreciate, like that's why I said at the beginning about you being very patient. I appreciate that <laughs> some of the some of the time we're going to have to be digging through some uh, pretty tough material, but hopefully, in the with the bigger picture, it will all have been worth it. Um, so yeah, this is a film that's very easy to find. It's on YouTube. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, if you want to play along at home, then it's definitely worth having a look at at the film to see how Italy was starting to find its feet this is obviously at the same time that this film is going on all the peplum films are really exploding and the studios are filled with people in togas and uh, yes men in tiny skirts and all that stuff was really it was going on elsewhere so the fact that in the corner of a little studio you've got people like Margariti playing around with with little rockets um is is quite fun i think even if the film itself is a bit of a chore at times to watch it's only um like 70 minutes but it does feel a bit longer <laughs> yes yes it does but yeah but anyway it's definitely worth checking out if you're interested obviously which i'm hoping some of you are um anyway so thank you rod thank you for putting up with this film again <laughs> all these years later I'll try and remember to put a link to your blog post about this in the show notes as well, so people can see what you thought of fifteen and what you thought of it fifteen years ago and how that's not really changed. But that'll be interesting. <laughs> it's, not changed, it's just become more refined. Changed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Rod. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, eventually, we will get to some better films. I promise. <laughs> oh well. Hey, you know it. it to to be to be clear my enjoyment of a film doesn't necessarily uh reside only in the qualities of its good versus bad matrix let's uh, let's sure. be clear about that and once again uh yeah. thank you adrian for uh, for the opportunity this is uh, regardless of the enjoyment of this film or any other film in this uh, in this podcast series this is actually a lot of fun cool yeah i hope so great okay well thank you everybody for listening uh, if you feel like it, then please leave us a review wherever your uh, whatever platform you're listening to this on. It all helps. We have actually had a review already, which is exciting. So uh, any more of those gratefully received. And you can also follow us on Twitter um, and on Instagram. The links are all in the show notes, so I'm not going to read those all out now. And you can email <laughs> us. You can email us too if you want to. Uh, if you want to give us any feedback. But anyway, thank you for listening. See you all soon for Operazione Luna by Lucio Fulci. Oh boy. Uh, bye, bye for now. Bye.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.